We thank God this morning for just the opportunity to be in his house and to lift up his name in praise. It's a, it's a high privilege, a high privilege to be chosen ones to dwell together with brethren and sisters and just to worship God. And I don't want us to take that for granted. Like the old folks used to say down home, this might be our last time. This might be our last time together. I call your attention this morning to the Gospel of Luke and the very first chapter of that Gospel, and we're lifting up verses 46 through 56. So Luke 1, 46 through 56. The Word of God reads, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty or empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. So on the strength of that word, we want to preach from this title, Mary's Prophetic Praise of Justice and Mercy. Mary's Prophetic Praise of Justice and Mercy. I want mercy. A grieving grandmother, Pilate dead, shouted as she entered the sparsely peopled funeral parlor. Her shout startled the funeral director, the few mourners who included some winos from off the street. She continued her exclamatory lament, mercy, mercy. Then she turned to the mourners who were frozen in their seats and turned the declaration into a question. Mercy? Mercy, both a demand and a plea, both an exclamation and an urgent desire. This scene takes place in Toni Morrison's 1977 novel, Song of Solomon. It is arguably the most dramatic and emotionally charged portion of a rich, complex, and engaging work of literary fiction that speaks of African-American experiences during the early and mid-20th century. As the novel nears its end, 
It's appropriate in telling that Morrison decided to punctuate this story with a clarion cry for mercy. A Christian reader of Morrison's text would definitely nod in agreement with Pilate's plea for mercy. Mercy characterizes the gospel. We humans come into this world estranged from God. We're enemies of God, and we justly deserve condemnation for our sinful condition that renders us lawbreakers in our natural condition. We have no realization that we, uh, that we need God to have mercy upon us. So the old woman's call should resonate with the Christian. The Christian has called for mercy and received just that. Mary's prophetic song here reminds us of this. In addition, Mary's song is an assertion that the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit is the God of justice who calls His people to be justice seekers in the world. As we approach this, this passage of Scripture, we have to remind us of, of, of the context here. Many of us are familiar with, with, this, with this passage. This is part of Luke's uh, birth narrative of, of, of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mary had already been visited by the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel has informed her that uh, she would give birth to the Savior. And after that, while she was visiting her, her relative, Elizabeth, Elizabeth was, was six months in carrying uh, the child who would be John the Baptist. And according to Luke, when Mary greeted her relative, Elizabeth, the baby in, in, in Elizabeth's womb leaped. The Spirit-filled Elizabeth then testified of the soon-coming Savior. And in response to Elizabeth's Spirit-filled utterances, we have Mary's response. So as we approach this text, we're looking at verses 46 through 49, we have Mary's response to the Lord's personal mercy. Now, Luke here is silent on the matter that what came forth from Mary was Spirit-inspired, but I believe we'd be on safe ground to say that the Spirit did fill Mary to sing this song. And we see in verses 46 and 47, we see a type of parallelism going on. As, as Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So, she is pointing to her, her, her inner disposition of magnifying the Lord, making the, the Lord's name large and big. And, 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 her, and, and her inner disposition of her spirit rejoicing. Now, let's not think that she was only praising God or praising the Lord inwardly, that she didn't open up her mouth. Obviously, she opened up 
her mouth. She gave God what we might call some big praise. And, and, and I don't think that she whispered that praise in the company of her relative Elizabeth. I would imagine that she sang loudly. She sang loudly. Her, her inner disposition testified to the praise that leapt from her lips. But why? Why was she inspired to sing this song at this point? Yeah, we can look at the passage and say, of course, she's responding to Elizabeth, but she's, she's responding also to God's own disposition toward her. Notice what she says here in verse 48. For he, the Lord, God, has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Her humble place, her humble condition. Now, we might read this and say, well, she's, she's referring to her, her, her sinful condition. Well, I would argue that she's not. Because the word estate there, and she uses the word again later on in the passage, refers to someone's place, really one, one's place in society, one's place in the world. She is a poor young girl from Nazareth. She's living under Roman colonialism. And... She didn't seek this, but she's also pregnant. Although she accepted the word of the Lord, but still, she's pregnant. And you think that people around her back in Nazareth would be saying some crude things behind her back, saying some interesting things to her parents, saying some interesting things to her fiancé, Joseph, who doesn't appear in, in this text. But the thing that we want to lift up here is that here's the Lord God looking at a person, a young girl who the world would just look over for anything so grand and so special. But it's just like the Lord. It's just like the Lord to look in a place like Nazareth and choose someone, an unlikely person, to be the mother of our Lord. You know, Philip, later on in, 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 the, in the gospel, in John's gospel, Philip, when, when confronted with the fact that the Savior has come and that the Savior is from Nazareth, Philip, who would be an apostle, would say, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? Nazareth the backside of nowhere. Nazareth, to use our own jargon, that's the place where a lot of folk don't want to drive through, especially at night. <laughs> Nazareth, we might say, is a ghettoized area. What good thing could come out of Nazareth? What good thing could come out of the St. Bernard Housing Project. 
What good thing could come out of Taylor Holmes in Chicago? Or, the, or, or Caprini Green? They, they, they're no more, but the legacy of those places are still around us. What good thing that come from the east side of Detroit? What good thing that come out of Oakdale Park right up the street? That's basically what Mary is getting at, her humble estate, poor, left behind, second-class citizen, her humble estate. It's interesting that how, even though she's a, a descendant of, of, of King David, so how, how far that royal house <laughs> has fallen where an heir, an inherent, and, and someone who is a descendant is living in a place like Nazareth. But that's what Mary is responding to here. Spirit-filled, yes, but in her inner disposition, she's responding to the fact that God would look upon her and choose her to carry the Savior of the world. Yes, yes. But this is a lesson here on proper praise. What should be our inner disposition in our praise, whether private or, or, or public? I think it's clear from this passage that it should just be like Mary's. And I know that Mary, she's a singular personality, she's a singular case. But her response to God's mercy is not singular. Because those of us who are believers this morning, we are all recipients of God's mercy. All of us. Whether we're from the city or the country, whether we are black or white or brown, if we are believers in this house this morning, we have received copious mercies from the Lord. And when we think about that, it ought to bubble up in praise to the Lord. I love those songs we used to sing back home. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on the Lord. I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Yeah. That should be our disposition. Is this not a thing that we keep in ourselves? But it's something that, 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 that launches from our inward parts and raises itself up to the Lord. Yeah. If we look at now, verses 51 through 53, we'll skip a little bit down and we'll come back to this other portion. You see Mary's and, and, and Mary and her praise of God's justice. 51 through 53, she sings, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. 
this mighty God that Mary has already sung about, this holy God, this God who is, who is totally, totally transcended in the sense of his character, of his nature. He is active in bringing about justice in this world. He's active. He's not aloof. He's not standoffish. He's not indifferent. He is active. And notice that he's active against the wiles and ways of the proud. Mary states that he scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And I want to contend here that the thoughts of their hearts, yes, not only refer to what the plans of the proud are, and these, and these plans are against those who are the humble, but it refers to the actions that these folk intended to put in place. So even before they can carry out their unjust plans, God is before them and he thwarts them. He thwarts them. And notice in this, this section, Mary is singing that God brings down the powerful of this world. She mentions the word, she has the word thrones here. Which, which denotes people in high places who are powerful. It's a contrast, a contrast to who Mary is and, 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 and her position in the society and others like her. But God just doesn't bring down the mighty from their thrones. She says that he exalts those of humble estate. So God is working for justice. He's planning and tearing down the structures of injustice. And he's exalting those who are targets of injustice. He raises them up. He exalts them in this world. He exalts the lowly. He turns the tables on the rich in favor of the poor. <laughs> yeah, when he says that he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has a favorable disposition to the poor. He wants to do good and right by the poor because the poor are being trampled on in the society. And brothers and sisters, this church has made a commitment to God and to the society to be a church that seeks for justice for the poor. That's what we do. That's why we take up benevolent offering once a month or whenever you want to feel like, whenever you feel like you've been blessed, you want to give to that. And we, this church, Together, we make sure that people don't go hungry. We make sure that, 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 that the structures of the society, which are so often against the poor, that those structures are mitigated by our ministry to the poor. So these are descriptives of how God operates generally in this world. 
God is the God of justice, and he meets out justice to the poor and oppressed. In reading this, in reading this, I was reminded of a Reformed confession that, that, that comes out of South Africa, the Belhar Confession, first published in 1982 by the Dutch Reformed Mission Church of South Africa in the teeth of apartheid. And Article 4 of that confession reads, we believe that God has revealed himself as the one who wishes to bring about justice and true peace among people. That God in a world full of injustice and enmity is in a special way the God of the destitute, the poor, and the wronged. That God calls the church to follow him in this. For God brings justice to the oppressed and gives bread to the hungry. That God frees the prisoner and restores sight to the blind. That God supports the downtrodden, protects the stranger, helps orphans and widows, and blocks the path of the ungodly. That for God, pure and undefiled religion is to visit the orphans and the widows in their suffering. That God wishes to teach the church to do what is good and to seek the right. Do what is good and seek the right. And what's, what's interesting about this particular portion of, 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 of the confession is that one of the proof texts, one of the scriptural passages uh, the writers use to support this statement is just this passage we are considering this morning. It goes on. The church, that the church must therefore stand by people in any form of suffering and need, which implies, among other things, that the church must witness against and strive against any form of injustice, so that justice may roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, that the church, as the possession of God, must stand where the, the Lord stands, namely against injustice and with the wrong. That in following Christ, the church must witness against all the powerful and privileged who selfishly seek their own interests and thus control and harm others. Therefore, we reject any ideology which would legitimate forms of injustice and any doctrine which is willing to resist such an ideology in the name of the gospel. Powerful statement from our brothers and sisters in South Africa, who knew what racial, economic oppression was, likened to Jim Crow here in the United States. So this, this confession, and in turn, this passage calls us to be justice seekers, to fight against injustice. Not just in our pet projects, and I know that some of us may be, we, we have special interests in certain areas of justice or injustice. And I realize that. But here's the beauty of the church. Here's the beauty of a cross-cultural church. Your cause is my cause. My cause is your cause. And then we bring everything together 
and, and, and we can speak with a unified voice to speak against injustice and to seek to bring about justice in the name of Jesus. Yeah, that's what we are called to do. This is what Mary is singing about in this song. And lastly, Mary praises the Lord of mercy. So we go back to verse 50 and then verses 54 and 55. Verse 50 again, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And then 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So Mary exclaims that God's mercy, his compassion, his love even, is available to those who fear, fear the Lord. And that, that means reverence him. It's recognition of God's transcendence, his holiness, his power, his glory, and in turn, their lowliness, our lowliness. So those who are God's people have been given the grace to see themselves in who they truly are, who they truly are. That is people who are born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and those who desperately need a Savior to give us mercy. And we're given the grace to see who God is. Yes, God is a God of justice, but He's also a God of mercy. He gives mercy to all those who know their need. Everybody who know their need, who know their sinful condition, He gives mercy to. Now, what's interesting, interesting here in this passage is that Mary links God's mercy with His covenant to Abraham. I know usually in, 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 in Reformed teaching, we, 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 we talk about the God's covenant of grace. And that's absolutely correct to refer to God's covenant with Abraham and Isaac and the Jacob and, 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 and the David as, covenant, as part of the covenant of grace. But here in this passage, Mary's not referring to grace particularly, but referring to mercy. And in fact, uh, the Greek word here for mercy is actually linked to God's covenantal promises to his people. So when God promised Abraham to be a God to him and to his descendants, it was not only a covenant of grace, but a covenant of mercy. So mercy is God's covenantal compassion upon his people. So brothers and sisters, one thing is clear from this song, this spirit-filled prophetic song, is that we need mercy. <laughs> we need mercy. 
We need mercy in a world of injustice, racial injustice. We need mercy. Gender injustice. We need mercy. Class injustice. We need mercy. Ability injustice. We need mercy. But sin has, has all of us under God's judgment. And because of that, we need mercy. But the good news this morning is that God has sent his son Jesus, born of the virgin, wrapped in swaddling clothes, placed in a manger. He has sent his son to die in our stead. He's the one who bore the justice of God that was for us. He died on that cross so that we can be recipients of mercy. And I don't know about you this morning, but I cried out to the Lord one night when I didn't have no place to go. All I could do was just look up and plead God's mercy upon my life. And I called on his name and I received mercy right there on the spot. So I'm glad this morning that we have a merciful God. I'm glad this morning that we have a merciful Savior, and He's ready, He's willing, and He's able to give mercy to anyone who calls upon His name. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We need mercy. We need mercy. In a world of trouble and toil, we need mercy. Let us pray. God of mercy, Son of mercy, Spirit of mercy, we pray for just that this morning. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be merciful toward us as we live out our faith in this world and our various vocations. We pray, Lord, that not only that you would give us mercy, but that we would be merciful, that we would be justice seekers, that we would love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And we pray, Lord, particularly that our church would be a church of mercy, that we are people of mercy, that we would see the needs of our society, Lord, and seek for justice and be ready to dispense mercy in the name of Jesus. So we pray that you would help us in these endeavors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.